Hello and welcome to another edition of the Kings of Anglia Ipswich Town podcast. No Mark Heath this week, so I am Andy Warren and I'm hosting and I'm joined by a man who is tucked away in his little Cornish retreat. And that man is Stuart Watson. Hello, Stuart Watson. Hello, Andrew Warren. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Are you by the sea? Or are you are you inland? About a mile up the road, so yeah, pretty pretty coastal. We've had a couple of little beach walks of an evening. It's been nice. So just to set the scene, Stu is uh, Stu is working uh, this week, but at the in-laws in Cornwall, which is um, which must be quite nice. A change of scene. Um, we don't need to be in an office. We don't need to be at football grounds. So we are we are flexible, Stu. At, at Archon, this is called. Agile working. Are you feeling? Are you feeling agile? Very agile. Yeah, yeah. The freedom of working from home is uh, is very nice. Laptop, phone, jobs. Are good. <laughs> Fax machine on the back seat. Everyone's happy. Um, have you had any pasties in Cornwall yet? Just just the one so far. I've been um, very restrained. I don't know if I'd be able to stick to just one. Um, what what else is going on in the Cornish food world? Is there, are there any other kind of delicacies that that we need to know about? Uh, your clotted cream. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, your ice creams. They do a good ice cream in the Cornwall, don't they? Yes. But uh, yeah. no, the, the clotted cream's the big one, mate. Make sure you put that put that on the top. Is that the official way? Yeah, I better get this right. But they get very. Um, very angry about that it's the whole Devon Cornwall split um, I'm pretty sure and people will get me correct me if I'm wrong that the Cornish way is a uh, jam on the bottom cream on the top and if you go over the border in Devon they do it the other way just to just to just to mix it up yeah just and to mix it up and get very angry about it on both sides of the border <laughs> Good. Well, at least, um, at least you know what you're doing and can't get yourself into any trouble. Um, it's actually been a relatively busy Ipswich Town week, hasn't it, Stu? Given, given we still have no football, we are now—is this four months now of of no football? And there's probably at least another two to come of no football. But a fair amount has gone has gone on, um, including season ticket refunds, which we've been talking. Seeming feels like we've been talking about on this podcast for, forever, but it's it's finally happened. But first, we're going to hit up the most exciting news, which is the new away kit, um, which um, which we were told it's going to be something a bit different, um, something the club have never worn before, and that goes for both the colour and uh, and the material, Stu. Yeah, straight off the bat. I'm going to say I like it. We were told it was Marmite, that it would split opinion. Um, the various polls that we've been putting out have backed that up. Let me have a little look. The one I put on Twitter has got the most votes. So that's had 1,400 votes so far. 29% love it. 28% like it. 24% say, meh, it's all right. And 19% say, not for me, which is a kind of way of saying, I hate it. Wow. So, split right down the middle there um and i like the fact that it splits people because do you know what they change kit every year 
you may as well be bold and try and do something different each year. I just felt last year was a bit lacked imagination. It was a bit like, oh, a couple of years ago, this one was really popular. So we'll, we'll pretty much replicate that. Do something different. Try and make people want to buy an away shirt. And they've, uh, they've certainly done something different. Do you like it? I do like it. Yeah. Very much. And I think your, your first instinct is generally the, the right one. Um, when you, if you see something and you like it straight away, although I have to say that the kit that Ipswich were relegated in grew on me significantly throughout the season, but but this one, this one I really like. I don't know what colour I'm calling it though. I, I, it's, it's kind of got a kind of I, I really like the kind of neony blue of the Adidas logo and sponsor and stuff. But is it grey? Is it blue? Yeah, well, they're officially calling it pale blue, but it looks, it's hard, until we've seen it in person, it's hard to say, but I think the pictures look a little bit more like a light grey than a pale blue. I've seen people say it's a bit like when you, when a rogue dark sock gets gets caught in the whitewash, and that's um, <laughs> a bit like your, your white primary school t-shirts that got a bit worn, and they, they would turn that colour after a while, but um, I, you know, I like it, I like it, like you say, the, the blue detailing. It's, they're calling that a sharp blue. I think that's nice. The fact that that's consistent across the, the various um, stripes and badges and sponsors and the, the numbers on the back as well, which are going to be a little bit different. Bespoke numbers and names, font of the names on the back. I don't know if you've seen that. but um, I've uh, seen that, yeah. I've, I, have some, I have some points to make on the, on the name and numbers on the back. Ipswich have got a bespoke colour, haven't they, for this? But the 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 new EFL number design, mm-hmm. I, I I hate it. I think I think I think they're awful. If I'm honest, all of the numbers are going to look like yeah, okay. yeah, th- yeah. This is across the whole EFL. I think Ipswich have got their own bespoke colour, which is good because it will match the match the uh, the blue that's on the rest of the kit. But the actual design of the numbers. I hate because they're all separated out and there's gaps um, between, I think there are three sections to each of yeah, the numbers. It's, it's not, it now. it's, it's um, not good. It has the, to me, it looks like on the back of this shirt as well, it kind of makes it look more camouflage and army-like and the, the font of it is quite a, um, a harsh, aggressive sort of font with the numbers and the names, isn't it? But um, yeah. That's beyond Ipswich, Ipswich's control, isn't it? That's not that's not their doing. That's the EFL. But um, in general, I, I really like it, and I, I don't think you can can dislike the fact that it's it's made what we are, are going to know come to know of Parley Ocean plastic, which is made from recycled waste that's kind of taken from beaches and and river mouths and things like that before it reaches the sea and recycled and sent off to Adidas. So I've got images of people on the beach with their litter pickers picking up crisp packets and popping them in envelopes and sending them off to, to Adidas uh, to, to melt down and make into these new shirts. But to have a, a shirt that's doing something for the environment and helping sustainability there, you can only can only be happy with that, can't you? Nothing yeah. nothing to grumble about there. Absolutely. As a you know as a as a coastal county, um, it's nice that Ipswich have um got involved in that i did see one comment which was it's kind of ironic that they're talking about sustainable football shirts when clubs change both their kits home and away every year um 
perhaps the more sustainable thing would be to use them a little bit longer. But we know money talks when it comes to uh, to football shirts. But um, no, it can only be that can only be applauded. Of course, of course it can, and it's um, it's nice that Ipswich have got involved in it. Yeah, and let's be honest, people aren't going to just because they're being used for one year. People aren't going to suddenly chuck them away or, or or anything, are they? They they will. We've seen throughout this period a lot of people on on social media seem to have been getting quite a lot of fun out of their old football shirts, wearing them again and and using them and things like that. So, I don't yeah, know. Absolutely. And there's donation schemes, isn't there, for people yeah. to send them over to, to Africa and, and um, to places like that. So, they, um, football shirts have a, a long lifespan one way or another. I've, I've been thinking out some of mine from, from the loft during this um, strange time. I know you've been doing the same. So, um, they're nice things to have, aren't they? I'm scared to take them out of the loft because if they if they come out of the loft, that means the discussion about whether they get uh, removed from my possession entirely begins in my wife's mind. So they're probably safer in the loft for me. But um, yeah, I've been going through them. Can we talk about the new goalkeeper kit as well, please? It's black. It's got the neon blue on it, and it's got the kind of camo design under the under the arms and down the rib pattern area and around the collar this this is probably my favorite one of all of the kits that have been released over the last couple of weeks actually i'm loving this yeah uh, um, there's a third keeper choice as well which is going to be coral all coral which they've not released pictures of yet but apparently that's that's available to buy which i imagine for football shirt hipsters like yourself you'll you'll go out and get the third choice goalkeeper kit i imagine and um, that's the sort of thing that you'll do but um it's, yeah, it's not, not impossible, Stu. <laughs> a lot of people are saying they want that black keeper kit in short sleeves, and to you know to have that almost as a as an option to to wear. But um, you, plain black it normally goes down quite well, doesn't it? Yeah. If you if you're going to have that in short sleeves, Ipswich are going to need to sign um, a Spanish or Italian or an Italian goalkeeper to pull that off, and then they'll have to have it adapted full time because they love they love a short sleeve. Sure, uh, third choice goalkeeper kits. You joke, but I've uh, I actually got one of those out of my uh, out of my massive kit box yesterday. The uh, the mint green one that was very rarely worn during the relegation season. Do you remember that one? Yes, we saw that a couple of times. I've uh, I've got one of those in my possession. Very nice, very nice. Which I did. So uh, yeah, I've, I'm looking forward to seeing these in in person because. They do look quite different. I've you find that if you look at them in in, uh, in real life with actual people wearing them rather than cartoon um, cartoon mockups, they might they might even look better. This this hand this design on the front that they're saying it started life as a hand printed design. So somebody, it looks almost like sort of erratic brush strokes, doesn't it? I, the thing it reminds me of is, do you remember tie-dye? Tie-dye was a <laughs> like in the 90s where you could kind of make your own, you get an old T-shirt and you kind of, do you remember you kind of scrunched it up um, and you could put, I remember my sister doing this, kind of putting elastic bands around bits of the material and, dip, and dipping it into to colours. That's what it reminds me yeah. of. Yeah, it reminds me of my, my, my poor ability at painting walls where I've put too much paint on certain bits of the wall and it takes significantly longer for those areas of the wall to dry than than others 
Mm-hmm. That's what mine looks. That's what it looks like to me. But I'm a, I'm a big fan. Are there any worries that this might not be worn uh, against teams that kind of wear blue and white at home? Thinking Bristol Rovers potentially. Do you think we might we might still see a a, a reuse of last year's Barcelona kit as a third option? I don't know. It seems to come down to sort of referee's choice on the day. I think some are more tolerant than others for change of kit, but there there is that danger. You'd like to think that they would do their research and somebody would be able to send an email off and say, how many teams would this clash with? Mm. Yeah, There is a danger of a lot of sort of predominantly white and quite a lot of blue, that that might be the problem. And that's never great, is it, when you when you sell an away kit that we had it a few years ago, didn't we, that it basically only got worn a handful of times. Um, yeah. It's not ideal. Yeah. I've seen um, this week, actually, some Peterborough. Peterborough have launched their new kit this week, which uh, they've switched to Puma. And um, I think some of their supporters are, are complaining that it looks too much like an Ipswich kit. In that it's bl- it's blue a blue body with white with white sleeves quite a simple design but quite nice I think there's some uh, distress at the at the London Road end of things about that being a little too Ipswichy but um, I like it. There's only so much you can do with with a colour palette of bl- blue and white, isn't there? Really, let's be honest. Yeah, yeah, you're either having sleeves or you're not, and that. And that is about it. But excellent. Are you gonna are you gonna invest in any of these? Um, I'm gonna see if we can blag some off of, off of the club to wear in various videos and things. They were kind enough to give us some last year when we did the the kit launch video, the the game at Portman Road. Um, I don't know, but even if I'm taking my sort of if I kind of put myself in my proper fans' shoes, I'd stopped buying kits. Um, probably in my early 20s. I was certainly certainly someone who went out and bought kits home and away every year, sort of through latter teenage years. As soon as I got a bit of money in my pocket from part-time jobs, that was that was the first thing that I'd go out and buy was football kits, but um, probably less so in latter years. But um, yeah, hopefully people will buy. I mean, you'll probably find a lot more people have the kit this year because if people have taken this um, voucher option with the... Um, season ticket refunds then um that might that might enable people to go out and buy buy both shirts so um we'll see what a beautiful transition into our next topic Stu, which is season ticket refunds like i said earlier we've it does sound like we've been talking about these for weeks and months um it's taken ipswich some time to get these out there compared to other clubs so i i was looking back through what other clubs have done and accrington Accrington had all of their refund news out. I think it was late March had had all of that out there. Um, there are some circumstances why it's not been quite so easy for Ipswich to get done. But um, they've got there, Stu. Um, they've got there. Should we quickly just run through the, the refund the refund options before we, we get talking about them? They're slightly different for whether you were a season ticket holder who's renewed, a season ticket holder who hasn't renewed, or if you're a season ticket holder who's renewed but paid all of your money up front. But in a nutshell, there's option A, which is to do- donate the money to the club, at which point you would then get some cash vouchers back to use at the stadium. Um, the money would go to the academy or the community trust, uh, and then you would be getting 
um, 50% of your donation back in, in cash vouchers, which you've, as you've just said, could be used on things at, at the stadium. Um, you could, you can get a pro rata credit to use towards match tickets, memberships and events next season. Um, cash vouchers to use in the shop, which as you've just said, could be used to buy kits. They're giving you a 25% top up on that. Um, you can have a refund paid in equal direct debit installments, which has had some contention. We'll get to that in a minute. And then you can also do a bit of a hybrid option, which splits your donation between a, a, char- a charitable donation to the trust. Um, and then you get some back and then some vouchers as well. So h- how did this all go down? I always feel a bit div- a, a bit awkward talking about about these and whether they're they're the right options or not because because we're not season ticket holders we uh we're not we're not paying in our in our jobs we're not paying for tickets we're not we're not the people that have, are shelling out their money to um to go to the club but it does there have been some contentions with these haven't there I think the main one is is the length of time it will take to get the refund um it's split out you either get it back in three instalments, start of September, start of January, and the start of May. So they're spreading that out. Um, that's obviously a, a cash protecting them from a cash flow point of view. They don't want 12,000 people all suddenly wanting their, their money back overnight. They say that that would cost them around £800,000, which would be a, a hefty whack at a time when income is virtually null for for the club um so i can kind of get themselves protect trying to put a bit of protection in in place for that um people are saying well if if you want if you were if you were due a refund from any other company you'd, you'd get it back straight away i think during this coronavirus crisis i've had different experiences with different companies whether it be theatre tickets, whether it be holidays that I've booked, some some money I've got back straight away, some money they've said, yeah, you'll get back months down the line. Some have kind of tried to push you down the, the credit route for different things. So the difference with football is, is it's, as a loss-making, it's a loss-making business, isn't it? So I guess they've got to protect themselves from a, a cash, cash flow issue more than others. The bigger question would be, could they have done more to find a solution to that that cash flow if you're asking fans to defer effectively defer their payments back then should they have been doing the same with with the players and the staff i know lambert spoke very early on in this process about him and his staff would be willing to take a deferral although that that's kind of gone quiet since um we're told that the players were very much open to wage deferrals and doing anything they could to, to help the club, but that all kind of got put on hold because of the salary cap talk and um, the PFA have kind of advised them all to to sit tight for the time being. So I don't think it's people saying, well, if you'd have got the players to defer 20% of wages for a few weeks, then that would have negated the, the liabilities of refunds. But... I was trying to do some quick maths on a sort of six million pound annual wage bill works out at hundred and something grand a month, which then works out at you know if you start working twenty percent of that, it's twenty twenty grand roughly a week that you could save through those sort of deferrals. So that's that's going to take you a number of weeks to 
kind of offset the, the refund. So I'm sure people behind the scenes have done the maths and have been working things out, you you know. Um, but I don't know. Like you say, it's not our money. We're not the season ticket holders and people have lost jobs. People have had pay cuts. People may, may very well need that money desperately now. So there's something slightly a slightly unethical feel about sort of holding on onto that that money mm. um i i read in i i read the pieces that i've been off most of this week but i read the the pieces that you've been writing around this and there's there seems to be a suggestion there that if people are genuinely in financial hardship it's something that the club would would consider kind of maybe speeding up those payments should should they be contacted that kind of thing yeah yeah which it's a difficult one because if you are in that position, should you be? Uh, that's it can be hard to kind of reach out for help, isn't it? It's kind of an embarrassing situation almost to have to ring up the club and say, "Please, can I have it back now?" You know, should people? Yes, the club are saying to me that they would listen with great sympathy. We're not ogres, you know. We would sort something out. Um, but should you be putting people in a position where they have to come virtually begging to get their own money back? I'm not so sure. Hmm. No. Um, to me, obviously, it isn't my money. Um, and I think everybody is entitled to to do whatever they feel is right for this. I, I've not particularly enjoyed some of the things on, on social media that have been, been going around the, the Ipswich Town Twitter world over the last few days surrounding all of this. But in general, I, I would say that the options are pretty fair. Um, that There are lots of there's lots of choice there, um, albeit with a few few issues that we've discussed. But in terms of it, it taking this long, we've got to the middle of July for this for this to come out. Do you think people would maybe have looked on what's been offered from the club a little bit more favourably had it been been sorted quicker, a little more timely? Yes, I think that's that's another gripe is that it's taken this long. You, um... They say that it's because of this changeover to SeatGeek and SeatGeek couldn't get hold of the, the database of people until their contract started at the beginning of July. Um, could they have sort of outlined these options to people earlier and say it won't go live? That The club will argue that um, once you announce something, people want to act on it straight away and that the fear would have been like, these are going to be your options in three weeks' time. And then people forget about it. And then if they didn't take their option, there'd be a cutoff point where the club automatically say, well, if you haven't, if we haven't heard from you, we're going to take the money as a donation. And then that could have caused issues. I kind of get all of that, but they could have probably been done with a bit more communication mm-hmm. earlier in, in the process. They found a way to, when they needed to renew people's season tickets for next year because they needed that cash to come in, they found a way to technologically to, to sell them so I don't know it's a difficult one we're not technological experts I don't quite know how that's all worked no. the scenes, but it, it felt like it dragged on a little bit too long for me yeah and another little gripe seems to be and this is maybe a, a smaller gripe that will affect some people more than it will affect others in terms of these cash vouchers to use either around the stadium or in the club shop they, they have to be used in person don't they they're, they're not you can't sort of go online and and order the new the new kit in this pre-order phase. This has to you have to you have to buy it in person from the, from the club shop. Yeah, 
their argument there is that there is different platforms, software providers, whatever, for different arms of the club. So the money goes into the catering arm if you spend it in a inside the stadium or if you Planet Blue is a different arm to the ticketing arm. So there's not a way of giving out a voucher code or something online that you can use across all the different platforms and they wanted to give people the maximum choice of how to spend that money. Um, I don't know. It, people saying, oh, I can't get to the stadium in person. By very nature, you were due to go to that stadium five more times. Um, with that refund. So I, I don't know. Um, I feel like they've shot themselves in the foot a little bit because I think a lot of people would have, I've seen a lot of people going, well, I'd have raced out and bought both kits with that if I could have done it online, but I can't be bothered to drive however many miles to and from the stadium just, just to do that. Um, I don't know. Could they have just split it up and said one option is that you can have it to spend on tickets. One option is just to spend on the club shop and then people could have, and then, People could have done that instead. I don't know. We're picking at hmm. picking at this a little bit, aren't we? Where you know, like you say, I think my overall thing is five five options. They've tried to give different options for different people. You're not going to please everybody. They may well bring this refund thing forward as well. By the by, all accounts, if they can get people back in the stadium soon, if not everybody takes the refund option, then they, by all accounts, they might move the refund policy forwards a little bit and kind of get everyone's money back this 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 side of the turn of the year so we'll see can you imagine how many how many pies you could buy from the club concourse using your using your refund voucher just just saddle up there the next game that you're there 30 i'll have 30 pies please is that what you're advocating get the cash voucher and then just do a pie challenge on the first yeah. Game. Okay. Yeah. I think they'd have to they'd have to up their catering a little if every every season ticket holders invested in pies or overpriced chocolate. How much um, is a Portman pie? Uh, I haven't bought one for quite some time because uh, fiver. I or oh, I hope not. Oh, of course, money, my friend. Oh, you're know, looking. I know, I know we get a bit of a feed where we go, but if you. The odd occasion we've had to go into the concourse, it's it's not cheap. I know if you're reaching a fiver, though, there's trouble. I I, I think I hope they're no more than three pounds fifty. So maybe somebody can can let us know. Um, this this shows how out of touch we asked you. This isn't good, is it? Um, three pound fifty. If you're getting a ninety quid rebate, you could probably get probably get twenty five pies out of that. Yeah. And that's how I, that's probably how I'd do it, to be honest. Could you eat 25 pies? How long have I got? Uh, half time. In half time? <laughs> <laughs> In 15 minutes? Uh, no. <laughs> no, I could game. not. All right, I'll give you the whole game. You get them, So you have to get them pre-kickoff and then you've got the... Uh, <laughs> 90 minutes and and half time to get them done. Can I, if, I, if I could start kind of at half past two when I got to my seat... That would give me from half past two till about five o'clock, two and a half hours, um, 25 pies, uh, 10 pies an hour. I shouldn't be eating 10 pies an hour. That's that's too many. Um, no, I don't think I could do it. They are quite nice pies, though. Um, but no, I, I can't eat 25, pa- 25 pies in two and a half hours. 
Sorry. You? Uh, I'd give it a go. I don't think I'd be in a great state afterwards. Um, But yeah, this could be the kind of the option if you're feeling a bit unhappy about the options. This could be your, you know, you don't want to wait for the the money to come back. This could be the... um, the option that you go for, that sort of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, your your kickback option. So you don't want to wait till next May for the last of your instalment payments to come back, so you're going to take it all up front in beef. This is the protest option. <laughs> Just dozens of people smashing 25 cards <laughs> in the first game back, and then they... <laughs> and then they're throwing the sort of pie paraphernalia onto the pitch like we've seen certain was it Charlton where what did they chuck on the pitch tennis ball tennis balls mm. with little, little empty pie cartons <laughs> I don't advocate that by the way I do not advocate the use of pie cartons um we've, we've drifted we've drifted away from the uh, from the season ticket business but there's kind of a, been a a lot of conversation around this. We it, It's taken a long time to get it done, but there has been a, a kind of sense of feeling around it that, that it's not a secret what the club would like you to do with this money. Is that fair to say? Uh, yeah, that's fair to say. And I think there was a lot of conversation behind the scenes about the tone of that. Some clubs have come out and just made it clear that it's you know, we need the money, please leave it with us. Um, Southend and other clubs. And I think there was a conversation behind the scenes at Ipswich that that's not necessarily a great look for a club like Ipswich that's run by a multi-millionaire. Um, and, I, and I think that's right. But I still think they've, as much as they've tried to not overtly do it, it's pretty clear what they want you to do between the Marcus Evans letter, the Lee O'Neill interview. Um, they want they need they want the money. There's a difference there between want and need, isn't there? Um, it's not a case of if we don't get this money, the club is in danger, fin- immediate financial danger. They want it from what Lee O'Neill said. Like it's the difference between how much we can strengthen in the transfer market this summer. If you leave your money with us, we'll be able to sign players is essentially reading between the lines of, of what they're saying. So as a fan, I'd be thinking, I don't think anyone should have any guilt at all, whether they need the money back or whether they just want their money back for their own lifestyle or whatever. I don't think you should justify whether you want that money back. You know, sorry, if it means that you can't sign any players this summer, then then how about actually just coaching the players that you've got and using the players that you've got, you know, give a chance to some of the younger ones and, and see what happens. Um, I don't know. What do you reckon? Um, I think I think it kind of all adding up together as maybe, I don't know, it, it maybe creates kind of a little bit of an atmosphere around it. Uh, there are lots of kind of, the, in isolation, the club kind of, tweeting fans who have said they were taking the option aid charitable donation to say thank you that's a nice thing to do um to say thank you but people can construe that to to be amounting to something of of a guilt trip i don't think that's how it was intended but but it kind of it's kind of a 
it, a cumulative effect of all of these things together kind of do um, do make it possible to kind of see that as a bit of a guilt trip. And there's a there's a you know there there are a few people that pointed out that we've maybe played something of a, a small part in that as well. We we ran a story towards the end of last week relating to um, a potential ten million pound black hole in the club's the club's finance, um, which kind of looking at it that has kind of come before all of the season ticket stuff launched didn't it um but it's maybe worth explaining the background to that story and how it how it came about um in that those are figures we've been asking the club for for quite some time and um and they were sent to us at, at that time so we ran we ran that story as part of all of that yeah and i can see the accusations of of collusion has come from a couple of places like oh this is this is handy timing that you know on the what day was it the, the saturday we hear about the 10 million pound back hole and then on the by the middle of the next then you get the matt holland interview on the club website which you know talking about how great marcus is then then you get the by the middle of the week the season ticket stuff so and then, you know, Marcus referring to the, the figures in the local media within that piece. I can I can see how people would look at that from the outside in. But as you say, it, the, the cynic in me thinks that the club certainly gave us those figures, which we had been asking for for some time at, at an appropriate moment. Of course, they have. You know, they've, they've thought that through. No doubt about it. Should should. People go, well, should you have run the figures? Well, they're of interest to people and we'd been asking for them beforehand. So once we got them, we run them. So they are worst case scenario figures. That is if the whole season next year was played behind closed doors, which isn't going to happen. It's looking highly unlikely. They're talking about a, a restart. It's looking more and more likely that the restart will be 12th of September and then I think it won't be too much longer before they can start welcoming some fans back into the stadium, be that 20%, 30% of capacity, um, and Ipswich will be okay. From what I'm from what I'm told, Evans at the very very early on in this process says we'll be okay for six months. If we can get to we can get through to September and if things are kind of back and up and running by September, we'll, we'll be all right. But if it goes much beyond September, that's when it's going to uh, become a become a problem. Interesting. Yeah, it does seem like it's edging. What there's talk today about test events being run for um, sporting events with crowds in the next few weeks and months. There are, I think there are pre-season games being played in the Netherlands coming up. Um, maybe towards the end of this month that they're going to start having fans back. Uh, the French Cup final is going to be played with, I think, maybe 5,000 supporters from each team um, attending in obviously a 60,000-seater stadium. And then there's also other kind of test events in the UK being being talked about as well. So it, it, and it, is, it is seemingly edging towards the potential of crowds by, by September, which will be, will, be, will be strange because... It's not going to feel like Portman Road on a on a match day. Still, I wouldn't have thought um, it's going to be very different. But it's getting there, isn't it? And that'll be that'll be great. Yes. Yeah. I, I guess what have they we they've got nine thousand roughly season ticket holders renewed for next year. So 
with a 30,000 capacity stadium, if they're talking about a sort of a, a third, 30% capacity of that, then I pretty much imagine that it will be season ticket holders only. And, and that will be, that will be that. They'll space them out. Um, that's the kind of scenario that I'll see early on. But I guess as, as things progress, a month is a long time during this crisis. Things touch wood, God forbid, could, could get worse with second peaks and localized lockdowns and things. But if things get better a, a month at a time, then hopefully there's capacity quite, mm. quite quickly to add. 10%, 10% on top, and we'll, we'll slowly creep back up to, mm. uh, to higher capacity. Yeah. To be honest, it's not like Portman Road's been packed full um, week after week in recent years either, is it? So No. no. And obviously, if we're talking about the start of a new season, that means some football players need to start playing football again in um, pre-season, pre-season friendlies, that kind of thing. And I'm led to believe that uh, Paul Lambert and his coaches are, are really keen to have the players back in the next couple of weeks um, out on the training pitch, um, going through a f- full pre-season ahead of a ahead of a September start. They're not back yet. They haven't trained together since March. Um, but I think there, there's there's talks going on about getting permission to return towards the end of um, towards the end of July. Which, uh, while we don't have a definite start date for next season, it, it is all heading in that in that right direction, it sounds like, which um, which is great because six weeks ago, this seemed a long way off, didn't it? Mm. Even a month ago to be talking about a return to training. Yeah, I think they want six weeks with, with the players. That's what the, the, uh, the fitness guys and the, the uh, sports scientists and everything talk about having six weeks to properly condition the players. So I guess they're probably now in their official holiday period, which um, footballers are entitled to. Um, and uh, yeah, six six weeks is what they'll look for, and I'm sure they'll be. Well, I know they're in in sort of talks, tentative talks with other teams in the area about some behind closed doors friendlies, which I imagine will sort of take place at training grounds and things like that. So um, at the moment, it seems like everyone's trying to get a few plans in place for this um, mid September start. Sounds good. Sounds good. Um, away from away from that, there's been. Been some contract news this week and some transfer news this week, well, of sorts. So, what, which of those do you want to do? Want to tackle first, Stu? Which we which should we go into? Contracts. Let's go contracts. So, uh, the contract news this week are, are fairly simple: contract, twelve month contract extensions, options taken on Thomas Holy and John Nolan, both of whom were going into their their final year of their initial Ipswich contracts, but were now both be contracted through uh, through this season and the one after that. So, but it's a little different here in that we we've, we know all about contract options. They get taken generally late in the season when either when the club aren't completely convinced by a player but want to give them another year, or if a negotiation hasn't quite reached um, a conclusion um, and then another year is taken, but. These were taken very early. Um, both already had 12 months left. They now have 24 months left. So what, what's the reasoning behind these new deals for, for Thomas Holy and, and John Nolan for their extensions? I can't remember these one-year options ever being taken this far in advance. So if anyone tells you the club have just done it to give an extra year, 
then that's wrong. You know, there, there is an ulterior motive here and our understanding from speaking to people within the game is that it's the salary cap, the potential for a salary cap, which the talks now seem to be at a more advanced stage and they're, they're going to have, I think, uh, more a vote on it, are they? Or more, more of an in-depth chat on it in the coming days about a salary cap. But there seems to be... Um, a desire out there from the lower league clubs to, to bring a salary cap in because, you know, unless you are a, an Ipswich or a Sunderland or one of the inverted commas bigger clubs in, in League One, it's going to be in your interest to bring, to put a cap on things because it will provide a level playing field for others. Um, and it's going to enable people to, to, uh, to get their wage bill down in really difficult financial times. So, um, they won't be able to just bring that in overnight. You would imagine there will, there will have to be some mitigation for clubs like Ipswich that are going to have to come down a hell of a lot. If, if the figures of about two and a half million pound a year for league one are to be believed that that will still be a, a hell of a jump for Ipswich. I mean, they were on 18, 18 to 19 million a year in the championship, a massive, massive cut when they came down because of the, the clauses in the contracts that were sort of cutting those by, 50% plus in many cases. So they, I don't know, a guesstimate is the wage bill is probably somewhere around six million, five to six million pounds now. So you're going to be looking at cutting that at least in half again if these salary caps come in. So I don't imagine that they'll be able to include anyone who has signed a contract before the rules come in, hence why they've uh, taken these options now because um, they won't count. Yeah, and it, effectively, uh, we, we're not entirely sure when these when this cap would be introduced. But say it's introduced this summer, that would effectively give Ipswich two, three in inverted commas years of of Thomas Holy and John Nolan, wouldn't it? In terms of their their cap number, you'd imagine wouldn't count in the first season or the second. Which, when you then think about players under the age of twenty one not counting as well, and the fact that there are a significant number of other players who have uh, contract options um, which could be taken it should while kind of shrinking Ipswich's window to get out of League One give them two years of advantage potentially over some other clubs in there because there are a lot of other contract options that could could be taken um, as well Caden Jackson's one uh, Danassian one mm. which you might debate whether or not that would be taken or not but there are, there are plenty of other ones in there and then plenty of other contracts that actually expire next summer with no option on them. So it's interesting times, but I can see, I could see a few more of these options being taken over the next, next few weeks before that actually comes in. Yes. And I'm sure, well, we know that they're in talks with some other players and that the option is probably the, the scenario that they take only once talks about sort of a longer deal hit a brick wall really so um, yeah interesting times what are we down to 28 players still when they're going into their final year as it, as it stands something like that mm. Donassian Chambers Hughes Judge Wilson Sears Jackson Bishop NCR and Nida Mel Mazzuni Wright Skews Dazelle Edwards McGavin Dryan and Shibek Falami Morris Cotter Clements Gibbs Ando Brown Brown Hughes it's a long old list mm. there's actually only one what was it about 12 players who were contracted beyond the end of next season so 
potential for a potential for a shake up, depending on what what happens. But that's that's a long way. Uh. That's a long way down the line. Um, that's contracts. Next up, transfers. Um, a fair few rumours doing the rounds, some little stories here and there. Um, any preference where we start with these is all centred around around strikers. Well, let's start with what we do know before we get onto the world of, of rumour. Um, our understanding is that Paul Lambert has made signing a striker one of his sort of top priorities this summer. I think... Um, They've had their chats, him and Marcus have had their chats about budget and I think he's been told that he can get a striker. Um, I think what level of striker it will be will be depend on how many people ask for the refunds and when the season restarts and how quickly fans get in. But I think they're they're looking at getting a senior striker to compete. Um, And I know that will split people. So is that really a top priority? In terms of the squad, I'm, I'm not sure. You could argue that they needed a different type of striker to Norwood, to Jackson, to Sears, someone a bit more physical, someone who can hold it up and others can play off of. Uh, I don't know. But um, then we move on to the kind of the raft of strikers that have been linked. And um, this is a frustrating time for you time of year for us isn't it kind of uh sifting through a lot of the stuff that that comes out yeah and that, and that is what it is as well it's a, a week from the chaff exercise um for, further to that i've i kind of i gather that ev- the the search for a strike for a striker is kind of all consuming in that anything else any other moves are potentially very much got the handbrake on until they get a striker done such as such as the desire to get one. But um, like you say, there's plenty of uh, debate over whether that, that search is, is needed quite so much. But whatever striker it is, it needs to be someone with a bit more of a physical presence, doesn't it? Like you, like you said, that someone with a bit of, bit of power, um, hold up play potentially, that could maybe play with one of the players that's already there. Well, let, let's, let's work on the assumption that, that Lambert wants to play 4-3-3, which I think was always his formation of choice from day one. I think it was circumstances which led to... I think they started 4-4-2 last year purely based on Jackson's pre-season form. And Jackson can't play as a one. We know that. So I think that was 4-4-2. And then I think they ended up with wing-backs because of the lack of wide options. Once once Sears, Sears was out, Lancaster was out, then Rowe picks up an injury and I think they just realised that they didn't really have the wide options. And you looked at Garber and uh, Vincent Young, they had the attributes for wing-back. So that, that's, I, I think now if all of that's settled down, I think they'll look to 4-3-3. How many strikers do you need for 4-3-3? If you're talking about the striker being just that one, do you really need... Four strikers, four senior strikers. Can you get by with with three, and then a Falami or a Morris from from below, if if they're really needed? I think you're right, but I would. But if you're playing a four three three, how many of the strikers that are there at the moment are, are capable of being the one? And I would argue actually only one. Yeah, only James Norwood. Yeah, I agree. Playing that role, that's probably the thinking, and and there was too much pressure on. Norwood's shoulders last year and 
people kept forgetting that it was his first year at League One level and the injuries didn't help. So that is probably what they're thinking. Um, somebody that can relieve some of that pressure on, on Norwood's shoulders. Um, but a, a physical target man option would be the pragmatic move. If it's a case of, look, we need different ways to win games in different scenarios, then yes, I think they've la- they've lacked one of those. But if Lambert is really wanting to focus on one way of playing, and I think they've tried to be too many different things, they've kind of flitted between trying to play football out from the goalkeeper on the floor, then they abandoned that for a little while and went a bit more direct. I think they need to just pick a style now and work on it, so and a formation and, and have an identity now. And if that identity is play out from the back and be this sort of fluid 4-3-3 with the two wingers coming inside and creating room for the fullbacks to bomb on, then do you need a target man? Because Nor- Norwood, Norwood thrived in a 4-3-3 at Tranmere with those sort of in in that same sort of system so i think that's what they were trying to to replicate and i don't know i can see those sort of support three being quite fluid at lancaster uh, a bishop or a um judge or a el mizuni or a dobra or you know all those sort of players playing as a very sort of fluid support three that can swap flanks drift inside join the attack when they want do you need like a pivot striker up there to for those to play off of? I can I can see the argument for it. Yeah. Well let's let's start with the most target manny of the of the names that we've been discussing this week. And Charlie Wyke of Sunderland is a name that we were made aware of last weekend. Um it then came out elsewhere a few days later. Um but there's a reason we didn't kind of go with that story ourselves. And I think that's because we didn't we we didn't think that there was an awful lot in it, and I still I still don't um, on that one. Um, what do you think? What did you think of that one? Because he he is a, a, a target man, isn't he? In the in the the most traditional sense. Yeah, um, I think people get too caught up in sometimes stats when they look at players. So he's only scored 11 goals in 60 games or, or whatever it was. If you're buying a target man, it's not always, you don't want to be too blinded by goals. You know, actually, when I've seen him play, I thought he was, I think he can be a handful. I think, you know, you're, you're signing that player for hold-up play, for link-up play, for what they, the space they create for others that, you know, so don't don't get too caught up in goal stats. You know you can go back to Daryl Murphy didn't have a great great goal record when when Ipswich uh, signed him, and you can sometimes you can find that in in players. But you're right it's, to go back to kind of the inner workings of how the transfer rumours work. I mean you were the one that got a, a call about him last weekend. We didn't think through other research that there was loads in it, but sometimes your hand gets forced because that same source of information will go elsewhere. It comes out as a story. It then forces us to to not ignore it because, you know, we've kind of got to reflect that there is some information out there at, at times, but that's why we always badge it up as a, as a rumor. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a, a slightly different one um, that we didn't badge up as a rumor uh, was Johnson Clark Harris yesterday of 
of Bristol Rovers. Ipswich didn't actually come up against him last season. I think he was injured for the for the game down at, at Portman Road. But he um he's got a good goal record and, and that is one that I'm led to believe there is there is some interest there. It's not hugely advanced. Um it's more a case of of a, of, a, of an admiring glance at a player who's into the final year of a contract, has enjoyed eighteen really good months of in League One. He's left-footed, he's quick, powerful, can score with both feet and from long range as well. So he fits. He fits the bill to me, and I, I do believe there's some interest there, but. The obvious obstacle is is the fact that it would require a, a six-figure transfer fee of at least half a million, um, possibly more. So that's the uh, the obvious the obvious hurdle that needs to be overcome there. If if that's an interest they want to take any any further, mm. this is where Ipswich will see opportunity this summer. That other clubs are going to be in more perilous financial position and may be forced to sell players that they otherwise wouldn't have done this summer and he might fall into that category. I think in hindsight, they'll regret probably not getting maximum value for him in, in January. Um, he's now heading into the final year of his contract. Is that the sort of player that you can prize away from a from a divisional rival that ordinarily you wouldn't? Um, there's one phrase you used in there which, which jumps off the page to me in terms of attributes and that was left-footed. Yeah. And I think... If you go through some of these targets that have been mentioned, there's a lot of left-footed players in amongst there. And Lambert's spoken a lot about left-footed balance. He's talked about it at centre-back, not having enough left-footed options there. And I, and I think throughout the squad, there's not many left-footers in there. You've got you've got Lancaster, you've got Kenlock and Nidam, who, as it stands, are the two left-back options. Um, Hughes, not many. Not many at all. Certainly none. Not many in the final third as well. So um, I think that will be one key attribute they're definitely looking for is is left-footed players. I think it wouldn't it wouldn't shock me if if Clark Harris could also play one of the wide forward roles. He's got all of the attributes to do that. Um, we've said a few times that we'd have quite liked Caden Jackson to have a little go at that, just so we could. We can see what he could do, but I think Clark Harris would be more natural in that in that role. He's a better dribbler than um, than Caden. Who Caden's a runner. Uh, Clark Harris is a dribbler, so he could he could fulfil tick a couple of boxes there. Very much play as a as a forward, um, which do, would, for would me, excite a, me. A left sided forward, a left winger, is what they need more than a. That would be higher in my priority list than a than a striker than a target man, to be quite honest. Because what are your left sided options at the moment, Sears or Edwards? Who it staggers me that they've not used him on the left yet, considering that's where he's played his best football for Peterborough. That's what they signed him as, and Lambert has used him anywhere but so far. We've seen him right back, mm. right wing, right wing back. Um, so it does, I'm not convinced that they'll use Edwards as a left-sided option. Uh, Sears, I can see being the, the kind of starter at the moment for, for that role. Um, I know it wasn't everyone's cup of tea when he was kind of 
chugging up and down the left under Mick McCarthy's management and not scoring goals. But I thought in those early stages of, of Lambert's management, he was got a lease of new life playing in that role because he was playing it differently to under Mick. It was almost like the shackles were off and he was being encouraged to cut inside, have efforts on goal and he was looking all right and until that injury came along at, at Norwich and, and wiped him out for so long. So hopefully Freddie can kind of pick off pick up where he left off, although that that's a big ask after so long out. But um no, I I would I would be targeting a, a left winger than a left sided mm. than than a striker. maybe they're looking maybe John uh, Clark Harris is kind of a two in one option that, that covers both bases. Yeah, without going into Freddie Freddie Sears in too great a depth, um, I can't see him getting much football away from one of those wing roles now. Um, I'm I'm not sure how much I can see him playing as a central striker at Ipswich anymore. Um, not that we've seen him there particularly much for the last what three or four years anyway. But I I, I just think that, that that's his route into the team now. Is in a in a front front three in one of the wide roles and I really hope we get to see more of him because like you say that October and November largely November under Paul Lambert in 2018 was really good Mm. Um, but that that is a fair old time ago now so hopefully hopefully we get to see the the best of Freddie again Um, one other little thing of to note perhaps from from the the talk of Clark Harris was that it's a report that also was was covered in um, from from the Bristol side of things at the Bristol Post there. And there was a, what seemed like a throwaway line in that story, um, sort of linking any interest in Clark Harris from Ipswich to a potential departure for James Norwood. Um, that's not something we are aware of being, being something that's imminent and is necessarily going to happen. But we do we do kind of think we know where that report might might have come from, where that information might have con- come from. But it's it's an interesting one. James, James Norwood, um, is he a big part of, it, of, the, of the plan going forward? You would imagine so. Ipswich went all out to get him last summer. You know, they've put him on, on big league one wages. They, you know, they beat, you know, Peterborough. Uh, Peterborough. There was plenty of clubs in for him. We talked Joey Barton. Who we know is, you know, knows James. They've been spotted out on nights out and pictures together. Was was keen to get him last summer for Fleetwood, but kind of bemoaned the fact that Ipswich blew them out of the water in terms of of wages. There, there would have been other clubs as well looking to get him with his goal record in in League Two. So I can't imagine one year on what has changed for him not to be part of that. Um, Personality-wise, he's, he's a big character. They would have known that when they brought him in. I think that was actually part of the reasoning to get him in to actually inject a bit of um, personality and character in, into the squad last summer. I think at times maybe that's he's probably pushed his luck with with some of the coaching staff behind the scenes. But I, I think you have to. There's an acceptance of um, what you get with James Norwood with his social media and the, the laughs and the pranks and and everything. Um, we haven't seen. We I don't think it's fair to judge James Norwood on the, his first season at Ipswich so far. He, you know, he says he was playing on one leg for most of the time, um, that, and that's probably why they're they're looking at another striker to kind of relieve some of that pressure on him. He, they overplayed him during a time where the injuries were there, and 
you just hope he's one that's benefited from a prolonged break and can come back and we can see the, the true James Norwood. I know we talked about this last summer when Ellis Harrison was allowed to move on, didn't we, about the potential of Harrison being one that could come back and buy Tipswich. Say, for example, and I'm, I'm not suggesting that this is going to happen, say Norwood is allowed to move on. I really hope he. I really hope that doesn't happen because I can. I can see him having a really, really strong season next season. But in the event that he's allowed to move on, given what we know about the, the fact he's on, he's on big league one money. The clubs that are going to sign him, they're they're going. Anyone that could be in a position to take him would have to be a top end league one club. And I can really see any departure for James Norwood coming back to bite coming back to buy Ipswich next season. Can, can you? I, I, I can just picture it now. Yeah, I, I thought Harrison had done enough in that relegation season to I, I wanted to see see him given a year in um, in League One. So, um, yeah, there, there would be that potential with Norwood, no doubt about it. But I don't know if Ipswich have decided that, you know, they want to go down a different route. Perhaps they have. I, I, I can't see it, though. I can't see it. No, I can't. I can't either. But um, there's a long, there's a long old lot of summer still to come, and it wouldn't surprise me at all if uh, something came out from the somewhere. Thing, the only thing is that you know the wages is at the higher end, and if they, you know, if if things have changed because of salary cap and COVID and everything like that, and they decide that that money is better spent elsewhere in the wage bill, that is the only factor that I can think that that comes into it. But. Um, but I can't see who would take who would I don't know who would be able to which club would take those wages on this this is a life changing contract for James um, and I'd imagine he'd be he'd be keen to 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 uh, to, to remain on that contract it's, uh, rather than taking any kind of cut to go somewhere else so yeah I, I can't see it I can't see it but I can uh, I can envisage this topic being revisited again over the next few weeks certainly. That is that is the end of our list, Stu. We put together a little list before this, and it, we've taken an hour to discuss it. Uh, we've reached the end of our we've reached the end of our list, which means should we have a little a little dip into the the mailbag? Um, most of the questions in there were related to season tickets and other things, so we've we have covered most of those. But thank you all ever so much for your for your questions that have come in. But should we take a few of the, the off-topic ones, just two or three before we go, Stu? Yes, go for it. Yeah. Right. Let me find the one. Jack Slada, our, uh, our cooking friend, um, simply says, Lee Johnson, do you think he'd come back down to League One level? And if so, would you have him at Ipswich? Just left Bristol City earlier this week. I think any any manager that's been in the championship and is always going to be looking for another job at that level straight away, especially for a club that Bristol City were, you know, were starting to have serious ambitions at, at that level. But as we've seen with managers, their their targets can lower over time. The longer you are out of the game, the more he might consider dropping down to down a level to a ambitious club, which. Ipswich would have some persuading to do to uh, to someone like that. Um, links to Suffolk with um, you know his dad, dad uh, Newmarket Gary. Um, it's not impossible. It's the, probably the type of type of manager that would straddle the 
enough experience to to persuade Marcus that it's not a massive gamble, but still kind of seen in that sort mm. of younger, younger new new breed mould as well. Um, you never know. The stars have to align for stuff like that, but it's not impossible. Mm. Um, this is a question that's been asked by a few people, including George and Brad. It's referencing Peterborough um, and their move, which is they brought 10 or so of their younger younger players, kind of top end 23s and lower end first team players have come back to training early to get some time with um, with Darren Ferguson there that they wouldn't normally get just to uh, give them give them some contact time and um, help their progression. Do you think this, some, this is something Ipswich should consider is the question? Um, they're doing everything they can in terms of training and uh, obviously there's there's loads of health and safety protocols at the moment about what you're allowed to do. Um, obviously testing people as well. The tests aren't cheap. I know McAntony at Peterborough has been talking about, you know, they need to get the, the prices of those down or get some financial help with those. Uh, £125 a head. So if you're starting to do those twice a week for, for people, that becomes a hefty old bill. But um, Ipswich have been doing a lot of one-on-one training with with the guys that are rehabbing back from injuries, um, Vincent Young, Lancaster, people like that throughout this whole period. And um, I think they are, tr- well, I understand they're doing a few sort of small small sessions with small groups at the moment that are, that are very socially distanced and within guidelines just to kind of keep people's uh, eye in. So they're, they're doing what they can and they're, they're ready to, to go. Um, they're itching to go as soon as they're given the green light a little bit more from the authorities. Just to tick a little little box here, it was reported, I think it was on, on our friends at, at TWTD this week about about some younger players, uh, about some players, I should say, being on the government's furlough scheme, um, Leo Neal saying there. But we, we've got to stress there that, that the understanding is that that isn't, we're not talking about frontline first team players here, that, for example, Luke Chambers isn't on furlough. The first team squad largely aren't. On furlough, is that right, Sue? We're talking more about potentially some of the younger, the younger guys. Yeah, I can't. I don't. We don't have a full list of who is and isn't, but our understanding was that it's um, it's primarily the, the younger kids, the academy guys that are on on furlough, which stands to reason when you think about the amount. You know, the, the furlough scheme obviously only covers up to what's the equivalent of 30,000 a year, isn't it? Is it two and a half grand a month yeah. that it's capped at? So, um, you know, when you start talking about senior players, that's that's going to scratch the surface for what some of them are earning, obviously. So um, I know people have gone, why why haven't they furloughed the players? I think, A, it's not, it's not a great look if you're, I don't think for any professional football club of Ipswich's size to be asking the government by the, you know, by extension, the taxpayer to pick up footballers' wages at the moment. Um, you couldn't expect... <laughs> this is going to sound wrong. You couldn't expect a footballer to be cut from whatever they're on per year down to 30 grand a year. And people will go, oh, my heart bleeds. You know, how are they going to cope? You budget your lifestyle accordingly. You know, that would be a, a, a huge pay cut, you know, Um and it would probably be breach of, co- of contract as well, I imagine. If you start putting those senior players on on furlough and not topping them, even if you were topping them up, um, I, I think there'd be contract implications, wouldn't there? Uh, absolutely. Uh, as an example, 
that there are players within the Ipswich squad that, that to go down to go down to the furlough level would essentially be a ninety percent pay cut. Which mm. which yeah, that that is breach of contract. And if you are <clears throat> some of those players would have would have a transfer value as well, which if you're in breach of contract and players are able to get out of their contracts, um you've lost that value. So it's a it's a tricky one and I can un- I can understand why People are looking at it and thinking, "What? Well, why have the club not done that?" But I can, I, I can see why they haven't. I, I, I can see why they haven't in the, in those cases because it's just not doesn't doesn't make sense for them in, in many ways. And like you say, it's not a great look, is it? Asking the government to pay wages of of professional footballers who, while not among the the, the superstar stratosphere <clears throat> in terms of salary, are earning incredibly good livings. So, yeah, it's not not the greatest look in the world, is it? Should we just take two more two more questions just before we we get done? We'll move away from football. Um, for for Harvey Davis, our Welsh our Welsh friend of the show, Boyo, um, wants to know Stuart Watson where the first your if you have any plans to return to restaurants and what restaurant that would be for a proper slap up meal. Uh. I've got no desire to, at the moment to rush out and uh, go to a restaurant or a pub at this moment in time. You? What, even on a Monday to Wednesday with your uh, eat out to help out um, well, yeah. o- o- I mean, offer? This is August, isn't it? That that combined with a sort of a further month down the line and some, some discount might might persuade me. Um, we This is probably a question to wait for... Uh, our esteemed host to come back and discuss food. Yeah, it's going to. No, I've no, I, I, I've not been to a pub, and I've not, I've not really got any, got any plans to rush out for a dinner. Despite Rishi's uh, kind offer of a tenner off Fernando's, um, I may not even use that during August. Who knows? Um, but yeah, Mark's probably, Mark's probably the man for that one, isn't it? I'm sure he's got a very long list of. Um, of potential destinations, he's away. He's away next week as well, so it's just going to be you and I rambling on on this next week. He's off for his uh, annual pilgrimage to the Peak District, which um, is is his happy place, and no doubt will involve some some country pub stops and some eating out as well. So, uh, yeah, maybe maybe we'll ask Mark for a report on his uh, his eating habits uh, when he returns. Um, Let's leave it there, Stu. I think I think I think we've done enough. We've uh, been rambling on for an hour and ten minutes, mm. which is far too long for people to listen to our to our voices. Um, you got anything else? Anything else you need to discuss before we? Uh, I before have we no depart? other business. No other business. I also have no other business. We have just received an email, you and I, Stu, from the shadowy archant figure uh, who wants to know why we haven't got in contact to let them know what's going in tomorrow's newspaper. Okay. Uh, which, um, there's a peek double, behind the curtain. There's a double exclamation mark there saying, why haven't we sent forward any, any plans, which, um, is yeah. slightly, uh, anything more than one question mark is, it is bordering on sort of passive aggressive. Is it not? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's to peek behind the curtain. It's 10 past 12. Um, that email is usually sent by half past nine, so uh, we've um, we should probably reply to that. So on that note, 
I'm going to say goodbye, farewell. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe. Please leave a review, preferably five stars. And please come back next week to listen to us talk about more football. Um, you got anything else to anything else to add, Stu? No, we've established that. Goodbye. From true crime to football, Brexit to football. For more great podcasts from Archon, head to audioboom.com slash channel slash Archon, head to audioboom.com slash channel slash Archon.